especially the way we're going to actually conduct this class where I'm going to ask for your input on what you thought were key points of the chapter so that we can, I'm, I think that really fosters discussion and most of the time something that you had as a key point, I mean John and I just um, illustrated that tonight, right? Something you have as a key point is probably a key point or a thought that someone else had as well and it's worthy of discussion. If you have a question, if you disagree with the author, um, if you just think it makes a great point and you want to discuss that, then, then let's do that. But as we get into this chapter, this idea of discipline as the pursuit of holiness, uh, I want to read a true story to you first, and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll discuss some things in here. A rough character from, tex from Texas married a woman from Atlanta who came from a terribly dysfunctional family. In other words, two pagans were married. When they were in Japan, they met a couple of Air Force folk who were Christians. The worldly couple did not, or <clears throat> didn't become Christians in Japan, but when they were reassigned in the USA, they looked up a Church of Christ in their town. The first Sunday they attended that church, it was in the process, on Sunday morning, of withdrawing fellowship from the preacher's wife for adultery. One would think that was a horrible blunder by the church, but the visiting couple found themselves drawn to these people who were weeping. It was obvious that their hearts were broken over their sister. The couple had to go back. They knew about immorality. They were in the military. But they were impressed with people who had made a commitment to follow Jesus and were helping each other live up to it. A church that lets that kind of behavior slide will do less than its best in an unholy world. That's a true story, which I thought was very interesting. So, one other quote. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, and it's similar to um, a, a quote that was already mentioned this evening. Nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sins. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. So what do you think about that story? What do you think about any part of it? What would have been... Alright, you're sitting in the audience, okay? The elder, one of the elders gets up, and you can tell immediately this is, this is going to be a discipline-type announcement. And 20 minutes before that, you met this couple as they came in the door. First time they'd ever been there. They said they don't attend worship, they don't attend church anywhere, but they, because of another couple they met, they wanted to come and visit. And you're sitting there. What's going to be your first thought? I wonder what they'll think. Yeah. Oh, no. Great. I can't believe this is happening when we've got these visitors here, right? They'll never come back. They'll never come back. We're kicking somebody out of the church, and they're going to say, why would we want to attend a church that kicks people out? Even though that's not what we're doing. I think these kinds of thoughts sort of demonstrate what where our hearts truly lie. If it's If it's are we focused on God or are we focused on our own image? Okay. Yeah. I, I think it's so interesting that in this case, this was drawing this couple back. They said, we have to go back. Because they couldn't, they, they just couldn't fathom the compassion and love that, number one, that they could see for the person to whom this was happening, and number two, that a group would feel that it was important enough to 
remove something unholy from their midst, what they turned unholy. Um, I got an email from Linda Maydale the other day, and it's kind of along these lines. Um, she was looking at Luke 17.5, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus gave the illustration of the master and servant to show the apostles how to increase our faith by decreasing our estimation and our focus on self. When you've done all those things which you've command, which, which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. How well I succeeded obeying Jesus' commands, such as if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, depends on my focus. If I focus on how much hurt someone has caused me, I will lack the faith to forgive, and I will also be lacking when it comes to rebuking in a good way, because in my self-estimation, I may, I may well miss the plank in my eye. Later in the chapter, Jesus asks, where are the nine? In my focus, if my focus is on how I want God to bless me, I, like the nine, may lack the faith to glorify God for my blessings. But I was just thinking as I was reading that how much um, it, it's true because what that couple saw was the congregation and how they felt about the discipline that was being given. Right. And um, that's what made the impact on them, not the, you know, ferocious, right. um, you know, attitude of, you know, she's an adulterer, you know, out she goes. And right. If you're going to act that way, don't come here type thing, you know. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that was. I think that's that, that's a great, uh, great comment. I really appreciate that because in this story it said, "But the visiting couple found themselves drawn to these people who were weeping. These people were weeping over their sister. It was obvious that their hearts were broken over their sister. And aren't those the type of people that we want to surround ourselves with? Right? People that, people that um, whose hearts would be broken." Um, if I, you, somebody else in the congregation were to basically renounce God and say, I'm going to go my own way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just thought it was a very interesting take on this idea. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of, or not a little bit, let's spend the rest of our class talking about this idea about per, the, the pursuit of holiness. There's a lot, a lot of information in this chapter. So just tell me, what, what in this chapter either spoke to you? What do you think is really good? What is something that we should, that we should be considering when we consider this idea of discipline as the pursuit of holiness? Okay. I remember something that I learned recently that really hit me like a ton of bricks. That <clears throat> discipline is derivative from of disciple. Mm -hmm. We need to discipline ourselves if we are going to be effective disciples. Right. And, and if we if we are not if we don't have discipline we can't be disciples. We're not going to be effective. We're not going to be wholehearted. We're not going to be sincere and uh, growing the way that we should. We're not going to be effective. We're going to be hypocrites at the least. And so that's that's an eye opener. Right. Because we all need to be excelling still more, bettering ourselves to be more like Christ so that we can be profitable servants and children that God can be proud to own. Yeah. What does it say about discipline in Hebrews 12? Who does God discipline? Those he loves. That's right. 
those he loves. It's a, it's some it's summed up at the end of the well right before holiness on page twenty seven there where he says the Hebrew writer tells us arises out of nature of God Himself we must discipline ourselves in one another so that we become more like our Creator and it's it's just it goes along with what Deborah was saying we need to deny ourselves which is the first requirement of becoming a Christian and think more about God and what he expects from us, what he wants from us. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. God put, God put a Christian in front of me when I was looking, and I, I often think about it, and I feel that responsibility. Who is God putting in front of me? And am I, am I doing what I'm supposed to do to share God's word with them? Because God says his, his word's not going to come back empty. Absolutely, yeah, it will not. You know, so it will not. If he's putting somebody in front of me and I'm not acting on that, woe to me. No, that's right. What, why do you think that one of the main reasons that um, church, or what do you think is one of the main reasons that you think that maybe many in the church view discipline as a negative As a negative. Well, the chapters. One of the points in the chapter is that we fail to see the big picture. Okay. And, and that it's not just some isolated action that we take because that's you know one of twenty-five things that we do as right. Christians. But there's there's a there, there's a a context in which these actions take place. Yeah. And you know what? It, that's not just limited to discipline, is it? Yeah. Because you know, and he points out in the book, we could, and and probably there are people that have, or hopefully not do, but have thought about baptism the same way, right? Well, you know, I guess I'll go and be baptized because the Bible says I should, so I'm going to be baptized. So check, one of twenty-seven that John just mentioned. Check. Oh, the Lord's Supper. Yep. Better take the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning because, you know, we have an example. That's when the, the apostles did it, the first day of the week. So, better go and take the Lord's Supper. Check. And we're not looking at this big picture. We're not seeing how this all ties together. And we're not seeing how all of this, everything in the Bible, is driving us toward this idea of holiness. Of holiness. How important that is. And that's almost a paradox in my mind. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. That's one of my points I want to bring up if you guys don't. But this paradox of holiness and being holy as well. So, yeah. I think it's overlooked a lot of times because it's involving sin. It's involving hardship. It's hard to talk to people, especially if you know they're probably not going to receive you very well just by their previous attitude and the way that they're living their lives. Uh, one brother put it this way: People are messy, mm -hmm. and it's very it's very easy to get into a quagmire of problems trying to help somebody or a couple. And a lot of times, you feel like you just get sucked into the quagmire, and, and it becomes a heavy load. It becomes depressing. Uh, we're supposed to edify and encourage one another. It's very discouraging when you're having to deal with problems all the time. That's right. That's right, it is. So it, it just has a negative connotation yeah. to it. Yeah. And in those cases, we then have to pull ourselves up and say, wait a minute, 
it's really not about me, is it? Yeah, yeah. And that's the hard part, though, because it does want to weigh us down. But it's not about me. It's about God. And it's about Him being holy and what He has done to make us holy and what's expected of that. You know, there are numerous things in the Bible that God tells us or we have examples of things that we should be doing and maybe we don't always know why. God doesn't have to tell us why. But in the case of discipline, He really does. He tells us why we must be disciplined. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, I mean, that's basically where this, what this chapter is, is uh, or this chapter in the book is based on. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. I'll go back up to verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chasten us as seemed best to them. But he, talking about God, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. So this idea of discipline, here's the reason. Discipline is necessary, not just a suggestion, but it is necessary so that we can be partakers of his holiness. Some of the discipline might be corrective. Some of the discipline might be instructive. But it's still discipline. We're told to discipline our bodies. We discipline one another in that we are and can be and should be an encouragement to one another. That's a form of discipline. But then there's also this negative side that we want to call negative, when in reality it still should be positive. Because correcting for the purpose of trying to, to bring a person back in a proper relationship with God is a very positive in reality. Even though for a little while, Hebrew writer talks about for a little while it may be a little painful. Maybe a little painful. Debbie? I was going to say, you know, he, he didn't put in verse 12, I don't think, but, you know, the therefore is to strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And if we, if, if we would be more active in seeing that or knowing that and doing that, it, it would keep us from having to have the final at the end. Most, I would say most times, yeah. right? Because if you can catch sin in the young stage and you can study God's word with somebody, you know, assuming their heart is open, right. there, there is more of a chance of turning right. than when I'm deep in it and oh. forget it, I want what I want right. type of a thing. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John? Well, it, and you do that because you care. You care about them, and you care about God. No, absolutely. Uh, the, when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 1, three times he points out that, that God does things or we respond in certain ways because it's to the praise of His glory. Yep. And you know, the, it's kind of consistent with that. Yeah, God is holy, and everything that we do is you know, to, to His honor. That's right. Yeah. Gary. Oh, 
you kind of took the words out of my mouth, but going back to the indifference thing, if you really love your brother, you're going to say something whether you want to get messy or not because you, you love him and you want to help him. Indifference is the opposite of love, like we said. I'll never forget, I saw a scene in a movie where this uh, real hard coach got on this new player and he, he was just devastated. You know, he's dragging his tail off the field and the assistant coach came up and just kind of gave him a nudge and said, hey, <clears throat> don't don't take that so hard. If he didn't care about you, he wouldn't have said anything to you. So that shows that he cares enough right. to, to get on you because he knows that you're capable of doing better. Absolutely. Yep. That's right. So if we're going to consider this idea of discipline as a pursuit of holiness, we probably should understand what holiness is. So... What is holiness? When you hear the word holiness or holy, what's the first definition that comes to your mind that we've probably heard over and over and over again? Set apart. Set apart, right. Set apart. In a very unique and perfect, good way. Okay, okay. So if I'm set apart, the first thing my human mind wants to go to, honestly are all the things that I should not be doing, right? I shouldn't do this, I'm not supposed to do this, I can't do this, I shouldn't say this, I can't go here, I can't go there. All these, but is that really what holiness is? Is holiness all about things not to do? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear the word holy is God. Okay. And I think that relates to what you're saying. It's not all the knots. Right. It's all the things God is. Okay. Yeah, I'm not saying the knots aren't important because, I mean, you know, you've got James 1.27, keep yourself pure and unspotted from the world, right? So there's that's included in there, but maybe that shouldn't be the first thing we think about when we think about, I need to be holy, so I can't do this and can't do that, and can't go here and can't go there and can't say this and can't say that. Maybe it should be more about what? This is a lifestyle. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. And kind of like the Mandalorian, he says, it is the way. It is the way. This is the way. You know, it's, a, it's a positive thing. He's, he's living his life in a positive way with his own set of rules that he lives by. And I'll be honest with y'all, when I first became a Christian, I, I was one of those guys that was... Uh, I, I didn't really confess Jesus as my Lord. You know, I, I grew up thinking religious people were Jesus freaks. And then I became one. <laughs> so so the, the, the name of Jesus didn't roll off my tongue right. very easily when yeah. I first became a Christian. But he, he tells us, if you don't confess me before men, I'm not going to confess yeah. you before yeah. my Father. Right. So that's, that's something that we have to learn and accept and then not just learn and accept, but uh, embrace it. And, and be proud of it and and it needs to not just be a part of our lives it needs to be our lives right yeah, yeah. And be yeah. Content how we live content therein right right and proud of the fact that you're living a righteous life yeah yeah I think it's important because God does not he is not calling us to be hermits <laughs> we're not to be a hermit crab find our own little house and crawl into it and never stick your head out think about what he said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and he said, you're to be the what of the world? Light. 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 
He also talked about salt, right? And if we lose our ability to season, then what good are we, basically? Yeah. So this is an active thing, this idea, this pursuit of holiness. It's an active thing. And um, being holy isn't just totally remove myself from the world and now I'm holy because I don't have anything to do with the world. No, that's not what it's about. What we can't do is what we can do. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. John? Someone said that uh, holiness is what makes God, God. Distinctive, different, unique. It, It signifies a separation to God and the conduct befitting those separated. But again, you can, if you're not careful, you think about all the things you can't do right. rather than the things that we do to make us right. God-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's important when we, when we attempt to define holy, going back to exactly what John was saying, that our first focus needs to be God, right? Because if we're going to define holiness, we have to start with God, right? And what is it about God, obviously? Number one, that He is God. <laughs> He's absolute power. He's full of majesty. He's worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. He exists in utter perfection. So this is holiness. Here's my paradox. If that's holiness, and God says we are to be holy, how can that happen? Right? How can I be holy if God is holy and there's... Don't even begin to start talking about how we can measure up to God. So, how do we, how do we get around that seeming paradox? Gary? It's what we practice. It's what we're working towards. We, it's just like a, a father with his son. He, he may give him a task to do he may not be able to do it, but he sees that he's trying. He's working at it. He's studying to, to do better at it. And as long as he's doing that, he may never get to be as good as his father in whatever he's attempting to do, but his father is going to be happy with him that he's working hard towards doing what he expects him to do. Okay. All right. Robin? Um we're not, no one, none of us are ever going to achieve this holiness in this life. None of us. So one of the paradoxes for me in this whole concept is I know my own sin. And it, it, is, it seems hard for me to be able to point out someone else's sin when I am fully aware of my own. But the answer to that, I think, is that that's why Jesus died an innocent death. He he makes the, he covers that up. Um, so we're not going to re- reach that holiness until we're in heaven. That's the only time we will. So it makes this whole situation difficult down here where we are. It is. You're right. Yeah, you're right. And I think the question I ask is kind of misleading when I said, "How can we achieve holiness?" And I think you really address that. Because if it's left to us, we can't, can we? We cannot achieve true holiness. Because we don't have that ability to do that. But the blood of Jesus Christ, that was the purpose, that was the purpose of his sacrifice. So that 
when God tells us we need to be holy for he is holy, the, the blood of the perfect sacrifice that washes over us allows us to be holy in the presence of God. That's the only way. That's the only way we can be holy, truly holy. I think it's important for us to remember that when we are talking to someone. That's right. We're not going to be able to achieve this holiness either. That that has to be a point in common when we're dealing with all of this. I, I, I need your help. You need my help. Kind of attitude. Right. Yeah, it's um, it's really humbling when you stop and think about should I say something to somebody else, but then you start to look inside your own self, life, isn't it? That's really humbling. I know, I know. That's and but I think it also should be uplifting if we take it to that conclusion of the blood of Christ and what He is doing, and the fact that you know what. I can never forget what I have done, but God has promised He will. And because of that, there again, not because of anything I've done, because what I have done has made me unholy, but because of the blood of Christ, I can be holy. Now, that doesn't mean that I just have to sit back and do nothing. The Bible still talks about our pursuit. We still need to pursue. We still need to grow. We still need to strive to be better and better. But keeping in mind that that is the pursuit of holiness. And as Robin says, until we are, until our faith is perfect, when we're in heaven, that is the only time that um, we will understand and be able to put on pure holiness to be in the presence of God. Micah, and then, okay. I, I appreciate that comment that you made that holiness is not just a a status of I've, I've put on Christ therefore I am holy and there I, there's no growth in that but but uh, the writer says we are holy through the blood of Christ but we pursue that holiness and develop and maintain it it's it is a process of growth for us and so whenever we are interacting with others and we see sin and we're trying to address it we need to make sure I need to make sure that I share that hope. Now, I'm not. Now, I'm not expecting perfection from right. you, my brother. No, no that's because it is us working together to grow. And um, sometimes we may lose uh, sight of that. Right. Yeah. And 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 if we do that, now people can take things the way they want, but we can come across, if we're not careful, as professing holiness. I'm holy, so I'm going to come to you and tell you why you're not type thing, right? We have to really be careful and guard against that, absolutely. And I think what Robin said and what you said ties so closely together in the idea that, you know, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. I still have struggles. And I see a struggle you're having right now, and I'd like to help you with that if we can. And if it's okay, I'll share a struggle that I'm having, and maybe you can pray for me and help me in that as well. And when you start to do things like that, when you open up your heart to someone that you're trying to help, then it's easier for them to open up their heart. But if we go to them with, brother, you've got a problem. You need to get this taken care of. I see it and other people see it. I would never do that. I can't believe you're doing it. What have we done, right? What have we done? We've done more damage in that, those two sentences than probably not saying anything at all, unfortunately.
but yeah, this idea of of us needing to continue to to move forward in the pursuit of holiness, um, it's an act. It's it's it is act, or they are actions that we have to take to to continue on that journey. We can't just sit back and let it come to us. So. My my thoughts parallel, Mike is. People, people of the world have a tendency to look at us and think that we think that we're perfect and that we're being judgmental. And I, I try to relate to people. I'm a sinner just like you. The only difference between you and me is I'm forgiven. And, it, it, you know, yes, I am working towards trying to live a righteous life, but... But we're always working for that, right? I still fall short. Sure. And I came from exactly where you're at. I know where you're coming from having lived in the world and now living as a, as a Christian, you know, that helps me in, in some regards with some people. No, I think that's, I think that's right. You know, on the, on the term of holiness, people of the world have a tendency to think of all the things they can't do as a Christian, thinking that they want to have their fun, but, I mean, getting so drunk that you pass out in your own vomit and then wake up with a hangover, that to the world, they don't want to miss out on that. They think that's fun, but when you become a Christian, everything about God is good and holy and righteous, and living in Him is is a true wealth of rewards of, of living and enjoying life, just like we did out at the camp there with with people and right. It was, it was just all good. And, yeah, and that was pure pure fun. Right, without a hangover. <laughs> John, I, I love it when. Uh, Moses asked God to show him his glory. And um, and God, in, in Exodus 33, he says, Well, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And then later in the next chapter, then, he, he does. And it's surprising how that plays out because... God passes in front of him and proclaims the Lord, the Lord God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That was not what I expected Moses to be exposed to in seeing God's glory. But it, it kind of reminds me then how... Uh, God is unique, how he is different. Because you remember when uh, Elijah had the contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He let them go first with offering the sacrifices. And they called out to their gods. And they, they, they did this forever. And then they started cutting themselves. Right. They clearly had no idea what would please their gods. And yet, our God tells us who he is and what his character is like and how we can please him. That's, yeah, great point. Great point. And I think that just goes right along with this next idea and that is that not only is the call for us to be holy important, but our holiness is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. Look at Hebrews 12, uh, verse 14. 
Hebrews 12, 14, he says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verses 15 and 16. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring, uh, springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. So without holiness, we, we, we fail to obtain the grace of God, and we become defiled ourselves. So not only are we called to be holy, but holiness is required. It's an absolute necessity to be right with God. And then 18 and 9, verses 18 and 19, and then I'll skip to 22 through 25. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, into darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, uh, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. Kind of sounds familiar to what John was talking about, right? Around that time. 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So this matter of holiness was was so great back then and it continues to be great even in the new covenant it is so important that it cannot be forgotten it cannot be ignored that our pursuit of holiness must be at the basis of all discipline whether we're disciplining ourselves whether we're helping to instruct others or whether we are conducting corrective discipline to bring someone back. This idea of holiness. I think Jesus helped in reminding us to do this. We need to be as innocent as a child. That's something that we can look at and we can see the, the simplicity of that and understand that. And we need to be of the mindset of just being pure and simple and, and honest as a child. And yeah. I loved on page 31 um, of the book in that first paragraph there's a quote it's about halfway down he, he quotes part of the quote he says so we are holy through the blood of Christ but we must pursue that holiness and develop and maintain it each day of our lives but if you drop down there's a, a footnote there if you drop down you get the whole quote and I thought that was really good so I want to read that whole quote Holiness is a state into which we have been brought by the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. But it is realized only in a constantly renewed obedience to the one who was himself obedient. Christian holiness, whether for the church or for the individual, can never be a static thing, something gained once for all. It has to be maintained amid conflicts and perils that are renewed day by day. It is a moving thing. It can only exist as a function of pilgrimage. I love that last thing. It can only exist as a function of pilgrimage. And what is our pilgrimage? 
down the straight and narrow. Traveling down the straight and narrow to a pilgrim is on his way to a destination, right? Yeah. Somebody commented, we're, you know, and there's a song, we're walking on the highway of holiness. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's like we're returning to the garden where God was in full presence with Adam and Eve. The, the lack of holiness cast them out, and then man's been traveling back there ever since. That's right. To the only garden that, or to the garden that exists, but only in heaven now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Debbie. Um, you started talking about at the beginning of knowing who God is, and I think sometimes the problem or can be in understanding where our holiness, I guess, the source of our holiness, and how we are holy. Are trying to be like him, right? I am holy, be holy, like I am holy. Mm -hmm. um, because if, if we look at it as, if I do this, this, and this, then I'm holy because he tells me to do this, this, and this. Instead of, and I think this is probably a, a, a problem in, in many cases of not understanding that if we draw on our own power to become holy or to do these things, that's when we become so overwhelmed after a while because because it's our own strength yeah. and, and it becomes a futile effort. That, <laughs> yeah, to be able to draw that power from Him right. and rely on Him for that power to wear us out and help us to pursue holiness and right. put up with the messy things for a period of time. Um, it, it's drawing on the source, and I think that's probably something that I've, I've had to learn is it's not me doing it. I need to draw on him because I don't have enough. Right. Yeah. It. No, it's no. Like that, it yeah. Down to yeah. 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 <laughs> or wisdom. Yeah. Or the wherewithal. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in reality, you know, it's kind of like salvation. Holiness. I, holiness is a gift from God. I like that point you made. Yeah, I did too. Holiness is a gift from God, in a sense, when we put on Christ, um, because there's no other way to obtain it. There's no other way to obtain true holiness. I really like that. I like this... Uh, this little statement here says, If the holiness of God accomplishes in our lives what it did in the lives of men like Isaiah, we will become increasingly aware of the depth of our own sin and of our desperate, own desperate need for forgiveness. In His holiness, God made provision for our sins. By His sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins and thereby made it possible for us to partake of His holiness. When we die with him and are buried with him in baptism, we arise from that watery grave as new creatures, born again. Our sins are forgiven. Our unholiness is cleansed and we become a child of God, made holy by the blood of Jesus. I love this idea. And, and, and um, the title of the first book, the, the first iteration of this book, I love the title of it. it the... I, Basically, it was that we may partake in his holiness. And I love that wording. 
that we may partake in his holiness. Because um, this one is God's gift for a healthier and holier ch- church. I love the idea of partaking of, in Christ or of Christ or God's holiness. That one sentence there. By his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins and thereby made it possible for us to partake of his holiness. So the holiness that we obtain or that we receive is not our holiness. right? That's the idea that I get. It is the holiness of God. It is the holiness of Jesus that makes me then holy in the presence of God. I can partake in his holiness when I put on Christ. So we've got about four minutes left. Um, what about this, kind of this last uh, couple sections there? Is there anything in this idea of holiness and discipline? We've kind of touched on a lot of these points as we go over, which I think is good. I love covering the chapter this way where one thought leads to another. and Because, you know, you lay it out in a book and you read it and it's one, but it's, it, the idea of discussing it like this allows the subject and the thoughts to flow from one to another. And I think that's really good for us to consider it that way. That idea of holiness and discipline on page 31, that uh, I thought this was kind of a key thought. And I'll just read it right there in the middle. It says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline, then you were illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Does this sound familiar? Kind of just read this, right? Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all this discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Bob? One thing that um, is kind of a, to me an underlying thought was that discipline starts with ourselves. And the only reason that the, the congregation, the church, would get involved is because we have been unable to discipline ourselves appropriately. Yeah, we talk about, yes, yeah, okay, I see what you, when you said ourselves, I was thinking going to the person, but you're talking about, no, me, myself, and I, right? Yeah. One-on-one me. Right, no, you're right, you're right, yeah. If I fail to discipline, then God is asking others to help discipline me. Right? That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. That's true. That's true. You know, and if, if my initial uh, conversion and my initially being made holy were, were the end, end of the matter, uh, then there wouldn't be a need for discipline. Because it, it would be done. I love what he said at the end of 32. The end result in salvation is not that we should be left much as we were at the beginning, but that we should be remade in the likeness of God. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. It was one of my highlighted passages. Micah? A question I hope that we can delve into as as the study goes on. Um, On page 36, he, he quotes sort of some of our blind spots to why we don't address sin mm-hmm. for ourselves or in one another. Um, we're blind. As churches, we no longer see God, only the pure in heart see Him, and our hearts are not are no longer pure. We even forget that we are at war. That concept of being at war against Satan 
and how we balance the functions that God has created within us to be soldiers in his kingdom, but also be peacemakers, to be ambassadors. How, how are we ambassadors and soldiers and peacemakers all, all at the same time Yeah. when we de- deal with sin for ourselves and, and helping one another? Oh, I think that's a I think that's a great point. Let's pick up because and we'll we'll consider that our last point for this section. Let's pick that up Sunday morning. So remind me Sunday morning, as long as you don't have kids sick at home and you're at home. Remind me Sunday morning. Um, let's talk about that and then read and be prepared to discuss no discipline, no church, chapter three in the book on Sunday. But you, uh, if if it's possible, send that kind of note question out as a. Reminder for okay. Just a okay. Until All right. Would you send that to me? <laughs> <laughs> because I would like the, the way you worded it. I like that. So if you would send that to me, then yeah.